and welcome back. Uh, first question, it says, a school shooting in Nashville this past week instigated a wave of tearful emotions uh, for them and my own nine-year-old third-grade grandson who lives with us. The tragedy initiated a search on your site for understanding. Your article on school shootings came up in, in the search. Great, great article. Uh, posted it on, your face, on Facebook, hoping it will go viral and help many. My grandson... Uh, questions why a loving God allows such evil things to happen to the innocent. I've attempted uh, the explanation of love versus evil, but he still struggles to understand. Any suggestions or resources to help? This is a great question. How do you help children understand this? Uh, The reality is there are two antagonistic principles. We either are loving God or else we're uh, seeking to exploit other loving God and others. We either care about other people or we care about ourselves so much that we will eventually hurt others. That, that is the two antagonistic principles. I describe it in this one. I, if you go to our website, type in you know, school shootings, you will find that one. You will also find a, another blog on mass shootings. And I actually go through the entire progression of what the real cause is. And you will find that, that don't get caught up into what the news and the world and, and is saying. Um, both, both political sides will use these events to try to advance political narratives, and they will try to offer various solutions. One might offer gun control. Gun control is not going to fix this. Okay? More legislation, more laws. It's, it, understand, every, every mass shooting that has happened happened in violation of already written laws. <coughs> Writing more laws will not stop, stop people who are willing to break laws <laughs> from doing so. Okay? Uh, and others will focus on mental health problems. If you look at the data on the mental health problem front, it's true that most violent crimes do not happen um, from people because of a mental health. I think 75% of violent crimes are, are done by um, people who don't have DSM diagnostic criteria at the time of the violent crime. So three out of four don't. But that's if you let the world tell you what mental health looks like. Okay? Because in the world, it's healthy to be selfish. If you actually use God's standards of health, then all crime happens because of the sickness of sin in the heart, where people are not loving God and loving other people, and fear and selfishness corrupting the moral values and the integrity of the person. And you you end up with all types of uh, distorted thinking processes, rationalizations and justifications that will allow people to think it's okay to do these things. And so you you can't let the world... I got an, uh, an email this morning from the Tennessee Psychiatric Association on this very subject, talking about... And, and, and would it surprise you? It went to the defense of the trans community? And, 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 then, and, then, and then went, absolutely offered sympathy and empathy to the, to the families that were harmed. There was no defense of that, that this was deserved. But the idea was we shouldn't in any way look towards the, the mental health. And they went down the whole pathway of it's not a mental health problem. And then a long, long plan to take away guns because the problem is guns. I'm telling you, uh, th- this is what will happen. It is not a gun problem. It is a character problem. And I would encourage you to also, if you go to our website, type in whirlwind into our search engine, whirlwind. I have a blog called Reaping the Whirlwind. What is happening in society is the predictable, predictable result of the seeds that we have sown into the last several generations of our country 
when we decoupled any moral standards and a belief in God, we have educated several generations now that evolution is how we came. There is no God. There's no higher standard. Uh, and, and when you take God away and you take a moral standard away and you actually elevate the survival of the fittest methodologies and principles is the way a species advances and develops. And in fact, humans are here because of this. Well, you understand um, survival of the fittest means that the weak should be killed off by the strong so the strong can pass along their genes and thus it becomes just natural for us to see enemies and kill those enemies so we can advance. Uh, this is godlessness. And as godlessness advances, uh, hardens, hearts harden, Fear increases, and people will become more violent, and the Holy Spirit is withdrawn. And so I, don't, I, I will tell you, tell your children that these are signs that Jesus is coming soon, and draw a distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. But there is no real solution. The world is not getting better, folks. There's so much corrupt in the medical establishment now, folks. I want you to understand... The, the, the entire medical, there's a medical industrial complex that is more corrupt than the military industrial complex. Yeah, that's right. You have been conditioned to trust your doctors, and perhaps many of the individual physicians are trustworthy, but they themselves are inside systems that restrain them that corrupt their own judgment. Their, own, their, their judgments in your health care are only as good as the information they have. And if the information they're being given is corrupted, then even with good motives, they make bad decisions. Like the doctors who uh, treated George Washington's pneumonia, bled him and leached him to get out the evil humors. Their intentions were only to save his life, but their information about disease pathology and infection and immune response was all wrong, and thus they harmed. And I'm telling you, there's tons of misinformation being promulgated through the medical industrial machinery now that corrupts decision-making. Further, there's evidence now that all under the guise of we're going to improve health care, the government and these third-party payers, which are only interested in money, let me tell you, they're not interested in your health. But they, they uh, have created these reimbursement scenarios now where doctors get paid more for best practices. And best practices will be measured in some way on how healthy their patients are, how the outcomes of their patients. Uh, so things like this are beginning to happen. A uh, doctor has so many diabetics in their practice. The doctor has so many diabetics in their practice. And, and best practices mean that we want to see how many of your patients have a hemoglobin A1C below a certain level. Let me finish the story, okay? Uh, hemoglobin A1C below a certain... And if, you, if you have more, more of your patients above that level, you don't get the additional 5% for, for the best practices. And so some practices, I've been told now, are identifying patients who don't comply with the plan and keep their hemoglobin A1C and firing them from their practice. So instead of actually keeping patients that are struggling, maybe low income, maybe they don't have good education, maybe they've got other problems going on, maybe they're struggling with an addiction, they can't, so that's interfering with their hemoglobin A1C. Instead of working with these difficult patients, the most difficult patients and non-compliant patients are now going to be terminated and have to get care other places because doctors can't get paid. And it's not necessarily the doctor themselves. The doctor works for a corporation. The corporation that they work for says, says this is what you have to do. 70, yeah, it's 75% of doctors are now employed by a corporation. So the medical industrial complex is just, I got off on a diet, we have a ton of questions, so. 
George, we have a primary care doctor here. Do you want to say anything? Am I getting this completely wrong, George? No, he's quite accurate. Briefly, regarding COVID, out of a million doctors, only 500 to 1,000 doctors you could find that would publicly give you ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. Wow. So I encourage yeah. you, those doctors can't take care of all your stuff, but you need to get a consultant that if you hit those things, at least be, have them as a sounding board. You may talk to them just once a year, but start seeking out those doctors. Like frontline COVID critical care is one site has probably about yeah. 500 plus doctors. You may want to try to establish your relationship with Yeah. <laughs> Reading the Exodus story, just before crossing the Jordan to the Promised Land, the leaders fall into idolatry. Moses, under God's instructions, uh, execute the leaders who participate in the idolatry, and they sanction killing of the Moabites. Uh, clearly, these had reached a point of no return with their choice, but why did the good people have to do the killing? I still struggle to wrap my mind around this. So you put all this into context. My understanding of reading God's plan as they came out of Egypt was that God was going to send the hornet before them and the pestilence before them, and little by little, the land would be abandoned by the people who lived there, and the Israelites would occupy it slowly. That was the plan. They didn't want that plan. And so God said, okay, if you're going to do it the other way, and there's a variety of reasons, human nature, uh, former slaves, now have a powerful God on their side who just, just basically decimated the superpower of the world. Okay, so we've got a power. We can finally win. Okay, you can see how that would roll. Okay, and these very, very primitive, and when I say primitive, spiritually primitive people, p- people who are spiritually immature, okay, coming out of uh, years of slavery. They would want to be empowered. And so God said, fine, if that's what you're going to do, and, and what's the primary thing here? Keep open avenue for Messiah. This is Genesis 3.15, the whole story narrative. That's where we focus. That's where we're not focusing on China. It's not because God doesn't love the Chinese. He loves them. But Jesus was not coming through that branch of the human family. So the whole Old Testament narrative is narrowing down, not just on all of Abraham's kids. We don't focus on Ishmael's kids. We don't focus on Esau's kids. We focus on Jacob's kids because it's through those kids Messiah comes. That's the whole Old Testament narrative. Okay, And so God is saying, sure, okay, if this is where you're going to go, then I want the least numbers of people traumatized by war. And I want the least numbers of people to die in war. So do it in one generation, be done, and let's have 4,000 years of peace in the Middle East. But they didn't. And we've had 4,000 years of war in the Middle East. And that's why he told them to wipe them out, so they wouldn't have multiple times more people and multiple times generations, from God's perspective, it would have been, if that's the way you're going to go, do it clean and quick. Kind of like, and I'm not advocating, I'm only observing from history how how we did the American Indians here. We haven't lived in a country of constant civil war with a rebellious indigenous people. We, We basically wiped most of them out, and then we have had peace internally with ourselves as a nation. That, that was the, the, the idea as I understand it. And I'm not advocating or defending or any way justify. I'm only pointing out the different outcome and what happened there. And why did God want them? Again, I don't think it was his design. He didn't want them. He wanted them to occupy um, after he uh, drove them out with pestilence and hornets and so forth. I've been watching the days of Noah, a four-part timeline of the end of time narrated by Adventists. The seven last plagues in Revelation appear to be literal events in which God's people, although who go through it, will not be harmed or affected. Are these plagues literal or symbolic? Hats off to Linda Ojala for leading the class in your absence. She's very much appreciated. So it's a future event. 
whatever I say is my personal speculation and my own uh, inter- inter- interpretation, uh, it's a future event. Future events uh, we can't have 100% certainty on. My personal view of the plagues are that they are God's systematic um, releasing of his restraints over evil forces, and evil forces gain control over this planet in, in various ways. And uh, Ellen White writes specifically that, that she was shown that, the, um, that these plagues do not come out from God directly from him, but he no longer gives his angels charge to restrain the evil forces, and Satan has more power to affect nature, and we will see more natural disasters and other things as Satan gains more power. And why does God loosen his control? Because the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on earth is the hearts and minds of people. We're the temple, the Holy Spirit. And as billions of people harden their heart and close God out, God, the Spirit is suddenly withdrawn, and Satan gets more liberty to act. And so that, I think there'll be literal problems here, but, there, but, but it's described as the wrath of God. And God's wrath, we already described in class, God's letting go and restraining the use of his power. And so that's how I think it comes about. Is it true that Adventist hospitals have abortions? If so, can you explain why they do? So that question needs to go to Adventist health care. I have nothing to do with Adventist health care. I don't know anything about their policies or practices, and I can't speak for the system. So I would encourage you to direct that question to some uh, healthcare system, whether it's Ad- Sunbelt or Adventist Healthcare West or, or the General Conference, uh, but that would be an Adventist healthcare question. Enjoyed very much last week's lesson. Just want to say one text or add one text uh, asking for your insight, Romans 5.10, for if... Yeah, so and Romans, it goes like this. If, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved by him? And then they go on to say, do you have other scripture that supports Paul's separation of reconciliation and salvation? Uh, For if, when we were God's enemies, he made us his friends, uh, were reconciled to God through the death of his son, surely how much more now are we his friends, uh, having been reconciled, will be saved? So they're asking, he's reading this text, for while we were enemies, God, uh, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more being reconciled shall we be saved to life? There's two ways to read this text, and I think they're both, both true. One is that all of us, after Adam, born in sin, conceived in iniquity, and the Bible says, and Paul says this in Romans, and this is out of Romans, that the natural human heart is enmity to God. So our natural state is against God or enemy to him. And while all humans had a natural state against God, God sent his son to reconcile us back. And while we were his enemies, God still died for us to reconcile us. And when we see that truth, then we're one back to trust. We are now have a new heart and raised spirit. We're reborn or recreated, okay? So that we're reconciled. Okay, the human, so we're reconciled from enemies to friends. And then once we're reconciled, then we have the healing process. And the word saved is so-so, and it means to heal. It means to clean up, it means to fix. And so only once we're reconciled to God in faith can we then be healed, okay? And so that's what that means on the individual level. You can also see it on a different level, though. And that is that the whole human race is alienated from God in sin, and while we were still his enemies, God sent Christ to reconcile the race to himself in the person of Jesus Christ, and the whole human race was put back in a right relation with God in Jesus' humanity, the race was set right with God. And so you can see it that way. While we're enemies, he put the race or the species right with God and now offers through what Christ has done salvation to all individuals. So either way, it works uh, on the individual level or on the um, corporate level.
sorry, not a question, but an encouragement. As much as, I, as much as we love to learn and be challenged from Dr. Jennings each week, I just want to commend Linda, who did a fantastic job leading the lesson I'm watching this morning. Thank you, Linda, for your uh, insight and earnestness. Well, well done, Linda. Uh, enjoyed Mark's discussion. I noticed he seems to use natural law, design law, as, uh, the me- at, as to mean the same thing. I'm currently digging deep into natural law, and from my studies, it appears similar, but actually can lead to false beliefs when I read books like Reason Informed by Faith, Foundation of Catholic Morality by Richard Gula. Uh, the development of natural law tradition among Christian thinkers is uh, due not so much to the scriptures as it is to the influence of the Greek philosophy and Roman law. Can you please clarify your view as I'm seeing many in the freedom movement leaning toward natural law without the Ten Commandments? Um, just conscientiousness and so forth. That's exactly right. That's why I don't use natural law, because the natural law can be used by people who are wanting us to basically be nature worshipers or, or go down godless trails of the, um, basically the physical laws of the universe. And so I use design law because the idea of design law implies and basically indicates you have to have a designer, Okay, and so the design law uh, include the physical laws like the laws of physics, but they include more. There are laws that govern how relationships work, and the law of love being one of them, the law of liberty being one of those, the laws of functional life, law of exertion, uh, the law of restoration. And so these design laws on how life operates and functions uh, go far beyond what I consider design, uh, natural law. But people will commonly interchange the two. Uh, I, do, I don't. I'm, I'm very precise to not use natural law. I did when I, first, when I first shifted my mind from imposed law to design law I, for as a brief time where I was using the term natural law, but I very quickly realized that it was also being used in this other way, and I said, that can't be used. We can't go down that trail. So then I, we, we came up with the term design law and started using design law instead. So thanks for that clarification. Would you ex- please explain Romans 13.1? I have read in a couple of different versions and in the remedy, but still unclear. Does it mean that all our presidents were put in power by God or that he uses them for his plans once we elect them? Do you all know which verse that is? I'll read it to you. Let me look it up here. It says, uh, this is out of the NIV. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. How do you read that? What does it mean? Does that mean that, that when Trump was elected, God was in the ballot box of voting for Trump? Is that what that means? <laughs> Render to Caesar what Caesar's. Render to Caesar. So, so no. What, so any, any thoughts? I'm going to read it to you out of the remedy. That's what I'm pulling up now. This is what the remedy says. Everyone must obey and not rebel against the governing authorities as they govern to bring order to society. All true authority comes from God, and the current authorities hold power in harmony with God's plan. What is God's plan? Why does God admit, why does God allow pagan, pagan Rome, during the time when Paul was writing, to have authority and power? Was pagan Rome representing God, God's kingdom? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. None of the kingdoms of the earth are God's kingdoms. So what, what, is, what is happening here? Just liberty. Suppress evil and maintain order. This is the point. What human governments can do 
is they can restrain people from doing evil against other people. They can. I didn't say they always do. Sometimes they're the source of the evil. But human governments can. You can use power and might and impose law and coercive force to restrain somebody. You can lock somebody in prison. You can take liberty and restrain. You can threaten with fines. Uh, I, I think most of us would agree that, that our driving on the streets are restrained because of the threat of a fine. Isn't that true? Yes. I know I came home late last night, driving through Collegedale. I'd been driving on the interstate, about 75, 80 miles an hour on the interstate in a 70 zone. Not, not too fast. Okay? And when you come on these surface streets at 35, it feels real slow. It, after, after six hours of doing that, it feels real slow. And I really wanted to go faster through Collegedale, but I was restrained. <laughs> Now, it, it was late. I, I got in at about 11 o'clock last night. There was very little traffic out. The roads were empty. I could have safely gone faster at that time. Why didn't I? Blue light. And I was re- it was really I went, it was an exercise. Of, it was a real battle here. There was the, the higher cortical functions going, restrain, restrain. The limbic going, push, push. <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay? What, 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 what caused me to restrain? The threat of the last... 10 minutes of my six-hour journey getting a ticket. That would really just been a sour thing. Yes, and then it would t- take even longer to get home. Yes, and so this is the purpose of governments, is to try to, present, pre- to create an atmosphere of some semblance of order where the, 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 the selfish, in, in, which is the dominant people in our, in our society, are not the, 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 those that live like Christ. It's those that are living for self. Uh, that they're restrained, and we can have some semblance of liberty and freedom. Yes. Uh, let, me, let me continue on. Good morning, Come and Reason Ministries. I've been watching and studying the lesson for April 8, A Moment of Destiny, and found another parallel to your point of the sheep and the goats on Sunday's lesson near the bottom on, uh, on the page. 1 John 5.3 is partially quoted, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And they cut the quote off. But they, did, they failed to include the, the finishing phrase, which says, and they, uh, we keep his commandments, his commandments, and they are not grievous. That was cut out of the lesson in the quote. Uh, the question is, that, that omission completely changes the meaning of the quote. Is this evidence of the authors being locked into a legal lens? No, I, I think that's right. I think that's the right conclusion. They wanted to emphasize law-keeping. When you understand that the law is not grievous, for instance, is it grievous that you have to breathe every day? That's a law. It is a law. It's a law of respiration. You have to breathe. If you want to live, you have to breathe. Is that grievous? Is that a grievous law? Okay. But, but there are some patients that I have with bad lung disease, bad COPD from, from, from smoking for years. And for them, breathing is very hard. And some people get so sick that they actually have, they actually have to have artificial respir- respirators help them breathe because they're, they're so sick. So for them, it's very difficult. They still have to breathe if they want to live. It's still the law, but it becomes hard for them because they're so sick. And I'm going to suggest to you that's a good analogy for God's law of love. When God finishes his work in us, we will, it will be as natural and easy for us to love other people as it is to breathe. But because we're so sick... We now need external artificial love support. The Holy Spirit working to revive love in our hearts. 
So that's, that's how I would say that. It says, my mind is blown. I've never heard this interpretation of the enmity between you and the woman in Genesis 3, 15 and 16, a dissatisfaction of the woman and humans living in Satan's methods of belief. Can you re-explain that, please? Yes, that is exactly um, the meaning of the text. When God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. The woman represents the church, God's people, the descendants of Eve even, if you want. And, and, and immediately after humankind sinned, if God did not intervene, actively use power, there would have been a perfect confederacy between sinful humans and sinful uh, angels. In fact, um, you give me just a second, I think I can pull up a, a historic quote that will actually support that. Um, yeah, this is out of Signs of the Times, July 11, 1895. One of the founders of the SGA Church wrote this. The Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. The enmity does not exist as a natural fact. As soon as Adam sinned, there, uh, he was in harmony with the first great apostate and at war with God. And if God had not interfered in man's behalf, Satan and man would have formed a confederacy against heaven and carried on united uh, opposition against the God of hosts. There is no natural enmity between evil angels and evil men. Both are evil through transgression of the law of God, and evil will always league against good. Fallen men and fallen angels enter into desperate companionship. And so this is God's, one part of God's grace. As soon as man sin, he intervenes in the hearts to give us a conviction of wrongdoing, a desire for something better, dissatisfaction with corruption and evil, so that we long for a Savior and salvation. And that's part of God's using his power. Notice again how he uses power. Get your mind around that. It's a real big idea that is really misrepresented. And it's represented in the common view that God uses power to punish, to harm. In reality, God's powers are always used therapeutically to save. Uh, Let's see. What my legal-minded Christian friend is afraid of is that she is holding on to any sin in her life that would separate her from God, and all the while she is thankful for the blood of Christ covering her sins. Where is she mixed up? What should I? Sh- what? So, what could I share of truth with her? I would just uh, not even focus on that. I would just focus on how she understands God's law and how does it function. It's okay. We should actually have a dissatisfaction with sin the state of sinfulness, the fear, the selfishness, the rebellion, the distrust. We should be very dissatisfied with that. We should long to be freed. Paul writes in Romans, oh, what wretched man and I that I am, who will save me from this body? It's great that she's dissatisfied with sin. You want to help her see the, the law of God and then the, then the truth that Christ has provided that actually she gets a new heart and right spirit. Thank you very much for this powerful Bible study, Dr. Tim. This is what was in my mind while I was listening to you today, a blog being declared righteous versus becoming righteous. A blog being declared, okay, maybe I'll work on that. How much time do you spend preparing your notes? (laughs) A lifetime. No, no, each week's notes, uh, at least eight hours a week. At least eight hours, sometimes more. All righty. So there's a question in the back. Yes. Um, I think to do a parallel contrast on that Romans 13, you really, because he's contrasting uh, secular laws versus his law, you, you would be good to read from verse 1 all the way to verse 14 where Paul makes the crescendo of his point. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's well said. Always, always read the larger context. And, and in fact, we want to start with Genesis and go all the way through Revelation. <laughs> that's, isn't that true? Yeah. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and for all that you have done for us and how you have been exercising your power to heal, to, to restrain evil, to, to restore, to win, to cleanse. We ask that your power be mightily poured out into our hearts and minds, that we will be settled, sealed, and renewed to be lights for you at this time in history. We pray in your holy name. Amen.